You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Thanks, Jennifer. Well, hey, good morning. This is uh, quite a treat to see you here in worship, so thank you for being with us. We have four more weeks in our series, The Real Jesus, The Gospel of Luke. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 22. We're going to be in Luke 22 for four weeks. We've touched on it a little bit, but there's four core sermons we want to address. My topic this morning, turning the ordinary into the extraordinary. And at home, if I can really encourage you, We want to be prepared for uh, communion right at the tail end of the service. So uh, do your best to prepare for that. So turning the ordinary into the extraordinary. I want to share a little bit about a trip that I had the privilege to be a part of a number of years ago in Nairobi, Kenya. Our church uh, said, hey, uh, pastor, could you support a missionary family who needs a break? They're tired. They're weary. They just need a break. We want to commission you for a week to teach in a discipleship training school. Council uh, was for young adults just to give the couple and the family some relief. And so what a privilege it was to serve in that capacity, but the tail end of the trip was really special and a memory I'll never forget. To say thank you, the missionary family took me to a restaurant called The Carnivore. So when you hear The Carnivore, what do you think about? Meat. Any meat lovers out there? So yeah, there's a few of us. So we're at the Conover Restaurant. This is kind of like world-class restaurant in Nairobi. You walk in, and there is a grill that was massive. And so chefs, meats rotisserieing, smokes flying. It just was smelling delicious. You get seated, and of course, when you're doing a one-off, you do the staple, right? So I ordered the carnivore. The servers come to the table, and there's a tower of sauces that they give you. And then they start to explain the sauces and how they're paired to the meat. So the servers come by, like a little bit of ostrich, sir. Count me in for some ostrich. How about some alligator or crocodile? I'm in. Filet mignon, anyone? You got it. Pork tenderloins, chicken, the list goes on and on. And then the kicker was Rocky Mountain You know what those are, some of you? I don't come from that neck of the woods, but I dropped one of those uh, baseballs on my plate, ate it, and that's a one-off too, done. But I tell you, this was about a decade ago. I can still see that meal in my mind's eye. Why? They turned what is ordinary, a meal, into an extraordinary, and here's the encouragement, experience. We come to communion this morning, so I want to encourage you right now, take your little cup out. There's two pieces to that. There's a little juice there, and there's a little wafer. Would you agree with me right now those are two ordinary elements? They're just simply ordinary. And as I prepared for today, here's what I had to do in my own heart, guys. I had to say, God, please forgive me, because many times I have taken communion, the Lord's Supper, and made it ordinary when it truly should be extraordinary. So I have a hope and prayer for me, for you today, that maybe if you're like me, the 
extraordinary has become ordinary, that we would flip that. And that never, ever again would we celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper as something ordinary, but rather an extraordinary experience which God always intended it would be. So do you have your Bibles? Luke 22. I'm not even going to ask you today to take out your digital worship guide and take notes. I'd never do that. However, if you're like mature in Christ, super-duper spiritual, and you want to take out your worship guide and start taking notes, I'll, I'll kind of give you a, like, I don't see anybody doing that. Zero. That's fine. That's fine. So let me start with the blessing, because I do believe God's word is given to bless us, because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. Each one of us should celebrate communion as an extraordinary experience. And so three things I want to share with you that are extraordinary about communion. We could say 33 things, but three things. Number one, celebrate Jesus, and don't miss this, please, an extraordinary host who serves. An extraordinary host who serves. Hope you have your Bibles. Track with me. We're going to read from verses 7 through 13. Let's take a look at the host, and then we're going to take a look at the host who serves. Then the day of unleavened bread came, when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus said, Peter and John saying, notice, go and prepare the Passover meal for us so we can eat it. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked him. Listen, he said to them, when you enter the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. Tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make the preparation there. So they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Folks, this is a big deal. This is 2,000 years ago. Uh, you see how often preparation and Passover is listed in those verses. Now, please don't miss this. This is not an ordinary sack lunch. This is not us going to our refrigerators looking for leftovers or guys to our freezers looking for a frozen dinner. This isn't going through a fast food line restaurant just kind of eating on the run. You know what this is? This is a sacred meal that goes back 3,000 years. It's called the Passover meal. And it is a sacred meal that commemorates what? God's redemption of his people from bondage, from slavery. He set them free. This meal is a big deal. Now, notice what Jesus does. He acts as host. Who does he tell? His right and left-hand guys, Peter and John, hey, go make preparation. This is sacred. And by the way, this was a serious preparation. You had to get an unblemished lamb. It had to be slaughtered. You had to get the right elements. Unleavened bread, herbs that were bitter. You had to prepare this meal. Why? To go back in time to remember that which was sacred. But you know what Jesus does here? He acts as host. And think about it, what it means to be a host. A host is welcoming. Jesus welcomes you and me to the table this morning. And you know what we're going to see pretty shortly? He welcomes sinners like you and me 
to the table this morning. He's a welcoming God. Why? Because love always welcomes. That's been Luke's thesis this whole time. He welcomed the marginalized. He welcomed the lepers, the blind, the lame. He welcomed the tax collectors and sinners. Remember what he was indicted for? Jesus, you're a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Of course he was. And you know what that means this morning? He's a friend of every one of us here today. We come as sinful people, would you agree? During worship, there was quite amount of emotion in my spirit as I worshiped because I reflected on the past week and where I've fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, I have a welcoming Savior who says, come to the table, Keith. Come and eat. Although you have fallen short again of the glory of God, come and feast with me. But friends, not only does Jesus welcome us as hosts, guess what? He welcomes us and serves us. Hold your finger in John tw- or Luke 22 and turn to John 13. I know that might be a little bit hard, but please do it. I want to paint a picture here because I got one talk to give you an idea of that night, the, uh, the Lord's Supper, communion, that Passover meal. John 13 through 17 is five chapters of the Bible. It's dedicated to one night in Jesus' life. One quarter of the Gospel of John is dedicated to one night. You know how it opens? The first 20 verses of John 13 is dedicated to our host who serves. What does he do? He washes feet. Now, Luke and John are relentless to give us a picture of the people around the table that day that he served. You know where it starts? First, it starts with um, Judas. Look, if you will, at Luke twenty-two twenty-one Again, hold your finger there in John 13 because we're coming back to it. In Luke twenty-two twenty-one, Jesus says, But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. Please don't make light of this, folks. A lot of Christians miss this. Do you realize Judas, the betrayer, the one who gave the kiss of death, is at the communion table with Christ? He is hosting him. He is welcoming him, and he is serving him. That is remarkable. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a Judas in your life? I'm serious about this. Have you ever had someone stab you in the back? Have you ever had someone hurt you so deeply it was like a Judas kiss? Would you, would I welcome that person at the table? Sit down and have a meal with me? That's what Jesus is doing here. This is remarkable, folks. The chief of sinners is at the table, and he's welcoming, serving, and we're going to see, washing. Now, guess who else is at the table? It's Peter. Peter's a dear friend. This is hard because your dear friend who, yeah, hey, I'm going to die with you. I'm going to stand up for you. You can count me in, Jesus. What does Peter do? He denies his dear friend three times. He abandons him in his time of need. 
And then it gets worse because there's a, 10 other guys, the band of brothers, and what do they do? They turn their back on Jesus. They abandon their friend. Their loyalty was lost. Let me show you something. Luke 22, 24. Notice the conversation around that meal table. Then a dispute arose among them, meaning the disciples, the apostles, about who should be considered the greatest. Can you imagine, why did I have to bring in John 13? Because he's serving, he's hosting, he's washing feet, and who are, what are they talking about? They're talking about honor. They're talking about status. Who's the greatest around here? I'm the man. Can you imagine coming to an elders meeting? We talked about this a little Thursday. And just sitting around and Greg Argenbright throwing it out. So guys, who do you think is the greatest in this elder group? Man, that'd be a weird question. And we're going to unpack that next week. And so what does Jesus do in the mess? And church is messy, would you agree? Church is messy, would you agree? Church is messy, would you agree? I'm looking at Tina Krug. Why? Because uh, we were talking about the mess. Let me show you what he does. Now, John 13, I, I don't want you to miss this. Five chapters, one night. Here's what John 13, 3 through 5 says. So Jesus got up from supper from the Passover, laid aside his robe, took a towel, tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples, plural, Judas's feet, Peter's feet, all those who want status and be great. He washes their feet. He dries their feet. <sighs> That's just supernatural. Just, just absolutely remarkable. So here's the question. Why must the Lord suffer? Why must be communion be an extraordinary experience? Here's why. Because the Son of God, Jesus Christ, stoops low and washes sinners' feet. That's the remarkable thing about communion. And it's beautiful. So every time you and I deny him, Every time you and I turn our back on him, every time you and I betray our friendship, our loyalty, and our fellowship of him, Jesus says, come to the table. Let me wash your feet. Sinner, you can be clean. So can I encourage you today? We're going to celebrate communion. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says this, let a man, a woman examine themselves before they take communion. We forgot a little bit about that in Protestantism. We come a little bit uh, casual, if you will. And I do believe there was a time for examination, and I want to just take a moment and see if we could just bow our heads right now before heaven and see if there's an area of your life that you need your Savior who welcomes you as host, who welcomes you as servant to wash your feet, to make sure you're clean as we will participate in a little bit. Can we bow our heads, close our eyes? And so maybe you're here this morning and there's a lack of forgiveness towards someone, a brother and sister in Christ, a family member. Maybe that lack of forgiveness has gone deeper into a root of bitterness. And boy, oh boy, you're ready to fight. Jesus says, I want to clean that up right now. Maybe there's a rift at home. And just husband and wife are duking it out. 
Christ says, I want to come and be a reconciling agent and renew that relationship. Maybe there's issues of anger, pride, greed, like the disciples, status, self-centeredness, me, my, I, myself. Maybe we've become the center of the world and you just want to relinquish that, Lord, change my heart. Those are sins of commission. How about sins of omission? Lord, I've neglected you, my first love relationship. I haven't been had time in your word or time in prayer. Those days seem to be past tense, not present tense. And I want that to change, Lord. I want you, Jesus, as my first love. Talk to him about that. Let's make today an extraordinary experience as Jesus washes the feet of sinners. And I include myself in that, dear friends. I'm not preaching at you. This is for us, the body of Christ. God, please bless this time of reflection, confession, prepare us to celebrate communion. In Jesus' name, amen. Secondly, so let's turn to uh, experience number two, celebrate Jesus' extraordinary, passionate obedience. This was a remarkable discovery of me. Do you remember the movie by Mel Gibson, The Passion of the Christ? I mean, I think it came out, what, five, ten years ago? A while ago, right? I always wondered, why do they call it the Passion? Did you guys know why they call it the Passion? I just thought it was kind of weird. What do you mean, the Passion of the Christ? Here it is. Let me show it to you. Look at verse 15 of chapter 22. I've never seen this before. I never knew this before. Brand new discovery. Then Jesus said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Does that sound like a strange idea? I have passionately desired to have this redemption meal before I go to Calvary. This phrase here is real interesting. It's an Aramaic expression of deep emotion. And literally it could be translated Jesus saying this, with desire, I have desired. Think about it. With desire, I have desired to eat the Passover in preparation for Calvary. In other words, he is passionate about his obedience. Now, think about the passion of Christ. He's at this Passover meal, and what's coming to mind it's real simple, folks. That Passover meal was eaten before the evening in haste before the nation of Israel left Egypt. 400 years of bondage, of slavery. They're eating a meal in haste, and they're out of there. Why? Redemption. The promised land is coming. Jesus says, I am passionate to eat that meal. Why? Redemption through the shedding of his blood is coming. The forgiveness of sin is coming to all people. The promised land is before us. That's why he's passionate. He's passionate to give his life a ransom for many, to give his life for you and for me. What a blessing. <clears throat> 
And so Jesus takes that Passover meal, and please don't miss this, and he transforms it into the ultimate meal. Let me show you that. Look at verses 17 through 19, please. And this is powerful. Then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourself. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The ultimate meal here is Jesus giving his life a ransom for many. You may recall at the Passover, they took the innocent, uh, unblemished lamb. The blood was shed. They took the blood and put it on the doorpost. Here's what's going to happen. Jesus, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His blood is going to be shed. And when it gets applied to our lives, there's redemption. There's forgiveness. Everything is made new. Now, you know what? thinking again about his passion. John 10, 18, Jesus said, no one takes my life, but I lay it down on my own. That's a blessing, folks. Nobody twisted his arm. He volitionally and passionately and fervently went to the cross for you and for me to purchase our salvation. John 15, 13, no one has greater love than this, than someone would lay down his life for who? His friends. Aren't you glad you're a friend of Christ? What a gift to have someone who's passionate to give his life for sinful people. He was fervent. He was passionate. Thank you, Lord. Now, I want to show you something in the Gospel of Luke, and I hope you don't mind flipping through your Bibles, but you got to see these. These are gems. Luke has a beautiful pattern that we have to discover Flip back to Luke 9.16, when Jesus fed 5,000 men and their families with a few loaves and fishes, there's a beautiful pattern that shows up here in Luke 22. Luke 9.16 says, then he took the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven, here's the key thing, he blessed and broke them. He kept giving them, meaning the bread to the disciples, to set before the crowd. You know what he taught when he fed the uh, masses with a few loaves and fishes? He said, I'm the bread of life. If you eat my flesh, you'll live forever. Friends, that's remarkable. Now, back to Luke 22. Don't miss this because this is beautiful. And he took bread and notice the pattern. He gave thanks. He broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this. In remembrance of me, that's the same thing he said in Luke 9. And so, yes, today we come, and we remember the greatest act in human history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Yes, communion goes back to goes forward. We go back to that great Passover meal, that redemption meal. But friends, please don't miss this. There is so much more in communion, and that's why it's so remarkable. You know what I discovered this past week? I had asked the question, what does it mean to do this? Is it simply meaning just remembering? Oh, no. There's so much more. Let me show it to you. I want to try to take you back to that night 
We're going to unpack this a little bit more next week. There's a triclinium, and they're laying down and eating. We'll, we'll discover what that looks like. But during that meal, after washing sinful feet, right? During that meal, knowing Judas is going to betray him, the kiss of death. Peter would deny him. The disciples are going to be so self-centered. What does Jesus do? He takes bread. And here's the beautiful pattern. He lifts it towards heaven. And he gives thanks. In Luke 9 and Luke 22, he gives thanks. The word there is eucharisteo, where we get eucharist. The core word of eucharist is charis, where we get grace. Here's what we have. He lifts it towards heaven with thanksgiving as a grace gift from God. And then what does he say? As a grace gift from God, he breaks the bread. This is my body, a symbol of my broken body for you. And then what does he do? He distributes it. He gives. And so here is the do this, folks. Because I would contend, if not this week next, if not this week last week, there is a lot of brokenness in this crowd. Would you agree? There's a lot of brokenness in our life. And the question we have to ask is, in our brokenness, what do we do? Here's what Jesus says. Take your brokenness. Lift it towards heaven and experience the grace of God in your brokenness. And let your brokenness, your broken life, be an act of thanksgiving. And when we give thanks for our brokenness, then we can give out of our brokenness. Many years ago, Ellen and I came up with the truth to persevere in life and ministry. And it was this truth. In our brokenness, we're going to receive the grace of God, offer thanksgiving, and continue to give. In your brokenness, can you be thankful for his grace and continue to give? If you're not experiencing brokenness right now, guess what? It's just around a corner. Because life is filled with brokenness. And there is a blessing in our brokenness. Jesus says, I've been broken for you, but it's a grace gift from God, and I keep on giving. So, it begs a question today. Are you experiencing some brokenness? And in your brokenness, can you say, God, I'm thankful, and I experience your grace, and in your grace, I will continue to give and live in that grace. That's remarkable. Now, finally, experience number three, and then we will celebrate communion. Celebrate Jesus' extraordinary covenant of love, and we'll tie it up here. Look at verse 20 of chapter 22. Don't miss this, folks. It's beautiful. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. Have you ever thought about the covenants of God in Scripture? Woohoo! We get that on camera? I don't know. Give the sermon. If you're falling asleep, wake up. Here we go. So here's the deal. Let me tie it all together before we blow away. So, covenants. 
Go back to Genesis 6, right? God says to Noah, I covenant with you to never flood the earth again. What does he do? He puts a rainbow in the sky. Genesis 12 and 15, he covenants with Abram. I'm going to make your name great. All nations on earth are going to be blessed through you. He seals that covenant in blood. Then you move to Exodus. What does he do with Moses? There is a covenant known as Passover. And the innocent animal's blood is shed. Fast forward to the New Testament. What do we have? Jesus says, I am the unblemished lamb. I am the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I'm going to give my blood for the redemption of the world. And then finally, the great act, all the way to Revelation. One final passage. Please turn to Revelation chapter 19. There's three meals in Scripture that you have to be aware of. Meal number one, we've already unpacked a little bit. It's the Passover meal, the redemption of Israel from Egypt. Meal number two, it is communion, the Lord's Supper. But you know where history culminates? It's the final meal. It's the covenant meal. Because covenant is all about love. That God loved us. He favored us through Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world. And history culminates with this meal to come. Jesus alluded to it two times. He says, I'm not going to eat this Passover meal until the coming kingdom. Where is that? It's Revelation 19, verse 6. Track with me and we'll close. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah! Because our Lord God, the Almighty, has begun to reign. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb are fortunate. Three meals, Passover, Luke 22, communion, the Lord's Supper, and then the wedding feast of the Lamb. It sums up our love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you to take out your communion elements. And hopefully, we will all be able to open this properly. If you have the prepackaged, you know you have a wafer. We flying away here? Hey, thanks, Adam. We're just going to go informal today, right? So, folks, can I encourage you? These two little elements, they won't fill you up. But I promise you this, they will satisfy you for a lifetime. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Eat my flesh, you will be satisfied. Right? These elements are going to be consumed quickly. But I promise you this, when you're truly in Christ, they will last a lifetime. They will have the impact God desires. So, can we from this day forward take the ordinary and make it extraordinary? On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and the cup. This is my body broken. This is my blood shed. A host served you, right? He washed sinful feet.
He established a covenant of love. And he did it with great passion. He fervently desired to lay down his life for you and me. Let's eat, let's drink together. Let's stand and pray with me, and then we'll close with a song. Father, we stand in awe of you today. Thank you for taking such ordinary elements and making them extraordinary in our life. Jesus, thank you for welcoming us to the table as sinners and for washing our feet, Lord, not only once, but literally every day of our life. Thank you for your passion. Thank you for loving us to the end. And God, today we celebrate a covenant love relationship. Hallelujah. And help us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.